Welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast, where our goal is to explore biblical worldview and servant leadership to equip you for everyday influence. Here's your host, author and director of cultural engagement, Jonathan Morrow. Well, welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast. Really excited about our show today. I've got with me Dr. Frank Turek. And Dr. Frank Turek is the president of crossexamine.org. He's the author of numerous books, including Stealing from God, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, all sorts of great, helpful resources at crossexamine.org. They have a fabulous app. He speaks all over the country on college campuses. They have a, a TV show exploring all these questions of worldview and faith and apologetics and truth. Just some great resources. He also happens to be here this week teaching our Impact 360 Fellows class. And so, Frank, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Well, it's great to be in these shabby Impact 360 conditions. I mean, this campus is amazing, Jonathan. People need to come here. This is an incredible place. Well, we're really excited about it. You know, yeah. there's there's a lot of exciting stuff here, and we've, we we just opened the brand new doors in, in August, and so we're here on 60 acres. So it's it's a lot of fun to work with these students and help them own their faith and think well about these issues. But honestly, I, I didn't have college dorms like this when oh, I no. was in college. I mean, this is this is some pretty amazing stuff. In fact, so we're really in fact grateful. somebody was telling me, one of the students here was telling me, I'm just depressed that it's going to end it in a year, that I only get to be here one year. It's kind of a gap program, but you don't call it a gap program anymore. What do you call it? Like yeah, it's impact, yeah, it's impact 360 fellows because yeah. it really better describes, you know, when gap year kind of people think, I don't know, it's a year off, but that's really not what we're doing here. Yeah. We're, we're doing a lot of equipping and training. They do a lot of self-discovery. They get to experiential learning, a month cross-cultural experience in Brazil, serving others. So it's a ton of stuff going on here. And so we're really excited about what God is doing here at Impact 360 with these students. And pretty soon... You're going to be able to take 100 students at a time. Now you're taking about 50 or 60, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're moving on up over the next few years to try to continue to expand that as well, which is a lot of fun, as well as our summer experiences. So we have full range of summer offerings for teenagers, high school students during the summer with Immersion and Propel. But yeah, it's it's a blast. But I love getting to see you interact with the students. I've heard great things this week already. you talking about kind of evidence for God mm-hmm. and different kind of things around that. But I want to start by asking you this question. What's, what's the number? You get to speak on a lot of college mm-hmm. campuses with crossexamined.org and in presentations around that with I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. So what's the number one question you get asked on a college campus? Well, there's actually four categories of questions that come up over and over again. I call them the four E's, and these are all in our app, the Cross-Examined app. Two words in the app store, Cross-Examined, Cross-Examined with a D on the end of it. Um, The four categories all begin with the letter E. You always get questions on ethics, like why did God kill the Canaanites? What does God have against homosexuality or certain sexual expression? That would be an ethical. Those would be ethical questions. You always get questions on evil. If there's a good God, why is there evil in the world? You always get questions, or at least frequently, on evolution. You know, what about evolution, macroevolution? Does it somehow disprove God? Is it true at all? Or well, what kind of evolution is true? And then you get questions on eternity. You know, if there is a good God. Uh, Why would he send me to hell just because I don't believe in Jesus? What about those that have never heard? Those kinds of questions. Why would God create people he knew would go to hell? So you get questions on ethics, questions on evil, questions on evolution, and questions on eternity. Those are the ones that come up over and over again. People always say, oh, yeah, Frank, you're really good on your feet. No, I'm not. I'm not really good on my feet. I just hear the same (laughs) questions over and over again, you know, and so would you if you did it, you know, you you hear the same thing over and over again. Yeah, and so... Think about this, and even stepping back, you know, questions are fine for people to have, and people have questions about their faith, and Christianity welcomes tough questions. You sure, know? yeah. And sometimes that's probably surprising to some students that you probably interact with and that I interact with. Is like, hey, can I ask this here? Mm-hmm. Is this okay? So maybe talk just briefly about the importance of 
Christian students being given freedom to ask questions and express doubts. Well, one of the things that we do is we record all of these college campus presentations, and at the end of the presentation, there's always a time for Q&A. We record all that. So all of those short Q&A interactions are on our YouTube channel and also on our Facebook page, crossexamine.org. And people like them because they have to get to the point quickly. When somebody asks you a question on campus, you don't have 30 minutes to answer it. you yeah. got to answer it in three or four. Right. And so we get to the point very quickly. And what people then do is they share them with their friends. Because, look, if I send you a 40-minute video, you're probably not going to watch it. But if I send you a four-minute Q&A video, you might watch it because there's some, there's some anticipated conflict there. There's some give and take going back and forth. So people really tend to like that. And it's very important to be able to ask questions. I was with uh, Robbie Zacharias about a month ago. We did a, a thing not far from where we used to be, Murfreesboro. Mm-hmm. We, were, we were there, and, uh, you know, wherever Robbie shows up, thousands of people show up. But this place, the church was full, a little over 1,000 people. And Robbie was asked a question, have you ever had doubts? And actually, he said, I haven't had doubts, but I've always had questions. <laughs> and there's a difference between having questions and having doubts, Right. Of course you should have questions. There's a lot of things I don't know. There's a lot of things Robbie does. There's a lot of things we don't know, so we should have questions. But he said, I've never had doubts. Now, look, it's okay to have doubts. But think about this. Let's just say for the sake of argument, Christianity is true. And it is. You have books written on it. I have books written on it. And I I think the evidence is very good that it's true. Mm -hmm. Let's just say for the sake of argument, that's the case. Does you doubting Christianity change the reality of its truth? No, no, not no. one bit. Not one bit. I mean, I hear people say, I lost my faith. Okay, so what does that mean? Does that mean that because you lost your faith, Christianity is no longer true? No, the evidence isn't in our psychology. Our psychology mm-hmm. doesn't determine what right and wrong is. The answer to whether or not Christianity is true is in the evidence, the objective evidence. So instead of concentrating so much on our psychology, how do I feel today? We really ought to look into the evidence out there for Christianity. That's really what we ought to be doing. So don't concentrate on your, on your psychology, concentrate on the evidence. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's really important because, you know, there's this widespread, I think, misunderstanding that just because you believe something makes it true. Yeah, that's silly. And sincerity, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, for any of us, I mean, right. whether it's medicine or what lowers cholesterol or, you know, how much money you have in the bank or which religion is true or what's mm-hmm. right and wrong, just because I believe it, Christian or not, doesn't make it true. No, Reality of course not. does, right? And so that's, sincerity is not enough because mm-hmm. we've all been sincerely wrong, you know, in the, in the process. So, so that's, that's an important thing uh, to talk about. So let's just take one of those objections you raised on the eternity question. Mm-hmm. Just let's pretend we're at those, one of those venues mm-hmm. and uh, let somebody ask you, look, Frank, how could a good and loving God send people to hell? Right. Like how would you, what would be a quick answer? And I know we could spend all day sure. talking about all the nuances, but what's the short answer on how you would frame the short answer, answer that is because he can't force you, he won't force you into heaven against your will because that would be unloving of him. That's the short, that's the shortest answer I can give. Because there's a lot of people out there who know about Jesus and yet they don't want him. They reject him. There have been people running from Jesus their entire lives, right? What's Jesus going to do in the afterlife? Say, hey, you're with me now. You need to be with me in the afterlife because who's, who's in heaven? Jesus. See, the, the premise behind the question is that everybody wants to go to heaven. That's not true. Everybody doesn't want to go to heaven. Not everybody wants to be with God. Some people want to be separated from God. That's what hell is. It's separation from God. So that's the shortest answer to the question. God can't force you to love him. Love, by definition, must be freely given. So he won't force you into heaven against your will. And um, I might note that before when we were talking about the four categories of questions, evil, ethics, eternity, and evolution. Mm -hmm. Three of those four 
are related to morality, if you think about it. Yeah. In other words, questions about ethics, obviously, are moral questions. Questions about eternity are often moral questions like this one. It's like, is it immoral of God to yeah. send me somewhere when, in fact, no, you choose to go there. You want to be separated from God. And the other uh, category is evil, which, of course, is a moral question as well. In other words, so many of these objections come down to morality, which presuppose there's a standard of goodness out there, Mm -hmm. and there's some deviation from that standard. Well, if God doesn't exist, there can't be anything good because by definition, he is the standard of good. So every objection that's a moral objection ultimately collapses without God, yet some of these objections are trying to defeat God by using morality. Well, you can't do that. You can't use morality to defeat the source of morality. Yeah, yeah, you can, you, it's, it's a two-edged sword there. And, you know, when we think about that question of eternity, you know, people have this mindset that, that heaven is this eternal pleasure factory in the sky mm-hmm. and how mean of God to deprive me from the pleasure factory. But mm-hmm. if you don't like God now, mm-hmm. you won't like God later That's for right. eternity, right? So it's do you, do you want to be? Because the essence of the afterlife is relational. That's how the New Testament mm-hmm. describes it. So mm-hmm. Yeah, so, this is eternal life. Yeah. That they may know you, the Father, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent, John 17, 3. It's not just endless time. It's a quality. Yeah. And so if that's not something that's attractive to you now or that you want now, you won't want it later. So I, I really appreciate the way you've, you've answered that. You know, lots going on in our culture, lots of different issues. And as Christians, we need to always be ready to give a defense and make an answer and a case for the hope that we have within us, yet with gentleness and respect. Well, one of the issues right now, I mean, there's so many different ones we could talk to. But there's a conversation about religious liberty mm. and the whole flip side of that with tolerance and diversity and different aspects of it. But just real quick, if you were on a college campus, somebody asked you, why is religious liberty important? Like, is, isn't that just a, an excuse for kind of exclusivity or something? Or why mm. is that important for everybody, not just Christians? Well, it's enshrined in our Constitution. It's the first right we have. And it also protects everybody that anybody with any religious belief can believe and practice whatever they want, given certain restrictions. Obviously, if you believe in, in a child sacrifice, you know, that, that crosses a line. But you should be able to live out your faith, provided the state doesn't have a compelling state interest from preventing you from doing that. And I, I think uh, this entire case that's just come before the Supreme Court about baking a cake for a same-sex wedding. For those that claim that the person should have baked the cake, I ask people this question. I say, should a gay t-shirt maker be required to make anti-gay t-shirts? And my answer is no, he shouldn't be. He has the right to not infringe on his own conscience by someone just because uh, he's in commerce. He doesn't give up his right to conscious protections, conscious, easy for me to say, <laughs> conscience protections, uh, just because he's in business. And the First Amendment is a shield. It's not a sword. What I mean by that is it is shielding the, the baker in this case from being discriminated against by the person that wants him to be part of his same-sex wedding. The baker is not using it as a sword on the same-sex couple. He's using the First Amendment as a shield so the same-sex couple can't, can't impale him on what, on, on what they want to do. So he's not discriminating against people because they say they're homosexual. He's saying that I can't participate in a same-sex ceremony because it's against my religion. It's against my conscience. It's a shield, in other words. He's mm-hmm. not overtly trying to hurt somebody else. He's just saying, don't you hurt me. 
And I think the person who's a homosexual has that same right to say to a Christian, if a Christian wanted to do something unkind to the homosexual, no, I don't, I don't have to print up your anti-gay t-shirts if I'm a t-shirt maker. If I'm a Muslim, I don't have to participate in your pig roast barbecue if I'm a, uh, if I'm a caterer. I don't have to do that. that. I mean, that seems odd. It's a shield. The Muslims being shielded by the law rather than the wedding guy saying or the wedding couple saying, you have to do it. Why? You can go to another caterer. You can go to another florist. You can go to another baker. There's no compelling state interest to force that person to do that. Yeah, and it's not special pleading like, oh, Christians are the only ones who need you know religious liberty or freedom of conscience. No, everybody needs everybody that. We does. need to protect yeah. that for everybody, and that's why I appreciate that because you know we're supposed to be good ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're supposed to treat people with kindness and respect, but that doesn't mean that we just allow certain fundamental rights to be trampled upon in the process that are that are good for everyone. Let me process. mention one other thing about this, Jonathan, because this is an important topic, and that is we have a conscientious objector protection for people who cannot take up arms to defend the country. Now, the number one responsibility of government is to protect its citizens from evil. Even Paul talks about this in Romans 13, that he does not bear the sword, meaning the leader. He does not bear the sword for nothing. He is there to protect his innocent people from evil. And armies protect innocent people from enemies outside the country, and police forces protect innocent people from enemies inside the country. Now, if we as a government can say there's no compelling state interest to force somebody to take up arms to defend the country, then how can the government say there is a compelling state interest to have this guy bake a cake for a same-sex wedding? There's no compelling state interest. I mean, if you can, you can give somebody a conscientious objection uh, protection for not defending the country, you can certainly give them one for not baking a, a wedding cake. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think this is one of those important cases that's being argued currently before the Supreme Court, and they'll you know make their ruling probably in June as they always do on this. So that's an important. So they can get out of town as soon as the. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, you've talked about this there's, that there's a new religion in America. So mm-hmm. what do you mean by that, and kind of how is that playing out in the cultural dynamics today? Sure, this is all in a, the updated edition of the book Correct Not Politically Correct. How same-sex marriage hurts everyone. And by the way, that book will get you fired if you're seen reading it. So don't don't read it in public. Yeah, Got me a... fired twice. <laughs> but in any event, I think there's a new religion in America. And uh, if you think about the things that we argue over culturally, we argue over abortion. We argue over marriage, same-sex marriage. We're now we're arguing over transgenderism. We're arguing over whether the government ought to pay for contraception, whether the government ought to pay for abortion. We're even arguing over what bathrooms to use. Now, if you think about what's the common thread through all those things, the common thread is sex. See, that's the new religion in America. It's an old religion resurrected. And people think, look, if there is no God, what else is there? So I am going to put sex at the very top of my priority list. And if you in any way get in the way of what I want to do to the point that if you won't even fund it with your tax dollars, I'm going to be mad at you. And if you think about the things we argue about, those are the things we argue about. There's a new religion in America. And if conservatives and liberals didn't have sex to argue over, what else would there be? There'd be very little left to argue over, right? Maybe some fiscal policies, that kind of thing. How do we help the poor? But sex dominates now our culture and even our political discourse. Yeah, and it's wrapped up, you know, 
extensively with the concept of freedom, the freedom yes. to do whatever I want to do, yes. whenever I want to do it. Mm-hmm. And the ultimate expression of that is sexuality. That's right. And and as you're saying, I think our culture is mistakenly thinking that it's completely fluid, completely malleable, where you can just really create it in, in whatever way you want, but that there's no reality to it, mm-hmm. that there's no mm-hmm. design. And that's that's what's ultimately going to hurt people in the long run is because there is. You know, like we were talking about earlier, just because you believe something doesn't make it mm-hmm. true. And then that's especially true if there's a reality and a, and a good design for sexuality. Exactly. In fact, there's a Pew Research study that just came out a few months ago that found that 44% of Americans believe that your gender can be different from the sex of your birth. 44%. And 77% of college-educated Democrats believe that too. They think that you can change your gender. Now, I hear a lot of atheists saying, there's no evidence for God. When they say that now, I want to ask them this question. Is there evidence for gender? I mean, do you think you can change your gender or you think your gender is fixed? If the person says that my sex, and I'm using sex and gender interchangeably here, that my biological sex, that I can change it, I simply will say to them, how can I give you evidence for God? You're not even going to, you already know biological sex. It's an empirical fact. And you're denying that? That's more obvious probably than any argument I could give you for God. And yet you're going to reject that? How are you ever going to say, how are you ever going to say there's evidence for God if you can't say there's evidence for gender? I mean, (laughs) yeah, I mean, because I mean, you know, Romans 1 talks about this in a way that's like, you know, that there's certain things that are self-evident. And Mm -hmm. when we try to give evidence for things that it's like, well, any evidence that I would give you for that argument is is going to be weaker than what's Mm self-evident, you know, that Mm -hmm. these things are reality. And it's not that we don't treat people with compassion who really genuinely struggle with these things or things like that. But what we don't want to do is reinvent whole categories that actually hurt people in the long run. They do. In light of these larger questions like you talked about, about freedom and the new religion of sexuality and how all these things get expressed, because in this idea of tolerance and diversity, the real loser in all of this is going to be people whose mm-hmm. lives are going to get really hurt by, mm. by believing these lies. And that's what's so heartbreaking about it. Oh, and, it is. And even Camille Pagula, who's a lesbian feminist, she calls herself, She's a college professor. She came out and said, giving children hormone blockers and trying to get them to transition, which is impossible anyway, get them to transition to become another sex, she says is child abuse. I think she's right. And she's on the other side of this issue largely. But she says, no, this is crazy. This whole transgender movement, again, you have to have compassion for people who have a psychological mismatch between their mind and their body. But it's a very small percentage of people. But to then normalize that as if it's it's uh, general easy for me to say generalizable. I can't even I can't even talk today. I don't know That's why. Right. It's I, been a long day. I'm trying, yeah, I'm, it is a long day. Anyway, you can't generalize that to the general population. It'd be like saying if somebody's born blind, then nobody should be able to see, or that's normal for everyone. That everybody should be blind. And that, 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 that's not the case. If, if you're born, even if you're born with some sort of what we would call a birth defect years ago, now that seems somehow it seems insulting, but there are birth defects. We don't normalize that for the entire population. We say this person has an issue and we want to help them with it. If you have a mismatch between your biology, between your body and your mind, you don't need surgery. You need psychiatric help. It's like anorexia. If I think that I'm fat, but I'm dangerously thin... You wouldn't tell me, you know, Frank, you really are fat. Keep starving yourself. 
you would say, no, Frank, you need to change your mind because your body is what it is. Your mind can change. You can't change your body from one gender to another. And you need, if you're anorexic, you need food. You, you don't need surgery. Yeah, no, and, that's, and these are really important conversations because students are running headlong into this kind of what I call the tyranny of tolerance, where they're mm-hmm. just supposed to kind of conform their views to what everybody else's views around them in society on these challenging issues. Just say a few words as we kind of wrap up on why it's so important that we equip students and to help them engage tough stuff like this. This is not easy. This is no. not easy. And also the big questions of life about who God is and why you can trust the Bible. Like, why is that so important now more than ever? It's important now more than ever because people are searching for truth. Jesus famously said this, I am the truth and the truth will set you free, which of course implies if you don't have the truth, you're in bondage. What are you in bondage to? Well, you may be in bondage to your own direction, which is the wrong direction. You may be in bondage to sin, which is ultimately going to separate you from God. The only way to get true contentment and happiness is to go straight through truth, and Jesus is the truth. You know, a question I ask atheists, you, you ask me questions that they ask me, a question I ask atheists on a college campus all the time, Jonathan, is if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And I've had several atheists in front of hundreds of people say no, and I'll say How's that reasonable? How's that rational? It's not. The problem isn't in their head. The problem's in the heart. As my friend Andy Stanley says, he says, most people are not on a truth quest or on a happiness quest. And that's true. They're on a happiness quest. They don't really care about truth. They just want to live how they want to live. They don't want there to be a God because they want to be God. Why? Because they think doing their own thing is going to make them happy. And that may seem right when you're a young person. The proverb says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its way ends in death. But for those of us over 40, we go, you know, that just doesn't work out. We tried that once. I tried to do it my way and it didn't work out. No, the only way to get true contentment and happiness is to go straight through truth and Jesus is the truth. So let me just say that sometimes you need to answer these questions if they ask you with questions. Uh, Greg Kokel's book on tactics is famous for that, right? Somebody asks you a question about transgenderism or same-sex marriage or one of these very difficult questions or homosexuality. You ought to ask a question back, and the question ought to be, you consider yourself a tolerant person, right? The person's probably going to have to say yes, and so then you can say, great, because if you consider yourself a tolerant person, then if I say something you disagree with, you'll tolerate it, right? Because you you don't tolerate things you agree with. You agree with them. You only tolerate things you disagree with them. So if they get all mad at you after you state your opinion, you might say, what happened to inclusion, tolerance, and diversity, right? I have a different view, And that's what tolerance is all about, tolerating those views. I think you can also ask people, what's your standard? Why do you think such and such a thing is a right? If there's no God, there's no standard, and there's no right to anything. Everything's just a matter of opinion. So I would try and get underneath why they're claiming those things and ask questions that way. Absolutely. And it takes time to do these things. That's why we're so excited about the work we get to do here at Impact 360, not only with our summer experiences like Immersion or Propel for high school students or our Impact 360 fellows experience where they get to spend nine months with great faculty like Frank Turek and others, J.P. Moreland and Paul Copan and all sorts of different people equipping them to think through these issues and the, and the gift of space. I mean, you can find out more about those things at impact360.org. I also want to tell you about an exciting study we've been working on with the Barna Group on who is Gen Z, and we're going to be releasing those findings on January 23rd. You can find out more about that at whoisgenz.com. You can sign up for the, the live simulcast and more information about that. It's really important as we seek to equip this next generation to follow Jesus with courage and boldness. 
and really want to encourage you to check that out as well. Uh, my guest today has been Frank Turek, and you can find out more about him at crossexamine.org um, and invite him to your campus, get his books, Stealing from God. We've got some other podcasts we've done with Frank in the past. But, um, Frank, I want to thank you for being with us today and, and any other things you want to talk to yeah, us about. Yeah, one quick thing that people might not know about Impact 360 is that when you do come here for a year, you actually get a half a year of college credit. People don't realize that. So it's not... It's not just you're taking off a year of college. You're not, really. You're kind of going to college, but you're going at this fabulous place where you're learning from a lot of people who can really inoculate you against the errors of the world by by coming here. Well, I appreciate that. And we always love having you. You're always one of our students' favorites to, to equip them in these ways. So find out more about our experiences or high school experiences during the summer at impact360.org. And just in big, big picture, we're called to love God with all of our minds. And so even as some of the topics we've talked about on this podcast today are hard and challenging, and there'll be conversations for the foreseeable future, what we must do is have courage and compassion to lean into these things and to know why we believe what we believe. So we hope this has been an encouraging and helpful podcast to you. Do us a favor. Uh, Share this with a friend. Please rate it on your podcast app. That helps us out as well. And uh, subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already. That way this new content gets finds its way to you whenever we release it. And we want to hear from you. So send us an email as well. We want you to have all the influence God is calling you to have uh, this next week. So we'll see you next time. For more information about our on-campus worldview and leadership experiences for students and our accessible online courses like Explore Truth and Explore the Resurrection, visit impact360.org. Impact 360 Institute. Know. Be. Live.